from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Throughout the past decade, the global workforce has shifted both culturally and demographically. Leaders are challenged to create more inclusive work environments that account for a diversity of contexts, cultures, and complexities. I'm Ron Jose, Senior Editor with CUNY News. In this episode of the CUNY News Podcast, Global Workforce Expert Dr. Shirley Davis explores how leaders can foster a more inclusive and productive work environment. As Davis says in this interview, today's workplace calls for leaders to be not only culturally intelligent, but culturally humble. That is simply the willingness to listen and begin to understand other perspectives. With that understanding, employees will be more deeply engaged and more likely to align their values to the organization's meaning and purpose. And, she adds, when employees are engaged, their talents and gifts drive their development, lifting the organization's culture and driving better results. Dr. Davis, tell me about some of the demographic changes that have taken place in the workforce in the past decade or so, and what do they mean for business leaders? Thank you for asking that. And I'm telling you, it's been major demographic shifts, and these have been predicted over the last decade or two, right? There's obviously a lot of workforce studies that's been done, the census data is taken, but what we know, and I want to talk about this in the sense of how it affects us in the U.S., but also global demographic shifts. There is now 51% of the workforce is made up of women. We also know, too, that by 2030, 54% of the workforce will be people of color, people who look like me, African-American, people of African descent, Latina, Latinx, as well as Asian-Americans and people of Native American descent as well. So we say the minority of today will be the majority of tomorrow. We also know that there's 7 billion people on the planet and one in seven lives with a disability, according to, again, more data, more statistics. And I studied this stuff over and over. I'm a data geek around demographic shifts. Additionally, what we also know, according to the U.S. Census data, is that about 10 million Americans self-identifies LGBTQ+. But that number is probably underestimated because not everybody feels comfortable self-identifying, both in culture as well as in our community. It's still a little bit of a taboo topic. People aren't always comfortable talking about it. And then what we know too, five generations in the workforce right now. Last year, 2020, the number of millennials hit 50% of the working population. And in the next four to five years, that number jumps from 50% to 75%. So think about the impact that that's going to have when we have the different ways of working, different ways of thinking, different ways of communicating, right? Different expectations, different needs that they all bring to the workplace. And what that means for leaders is that they have to be thinking about how do you work more effectively across difference, across generations, across cultures, across borders, right? We are a much more globally diverse society. We're hyper-connected. We're working flexibly, remotely. We're working in a gig economy, right? Where people can work full-time jobs, or part-time jobs, and they can have a side hustle through technology, right? Have an Airbnb, or I could be a webmaster, or I could be a caterer, right? Because so much stuff is online now. So think about all of those demographic shifts. It goes on to talk about not only disability, LGBTQ, 
but faith and religion, right, is a shift that's happening because people self-identify. The political shifts that are happening, economic shifts, all of this is affecting our workplace, our marketplace. Ultimately, it's going to affect our leadership style. So what are the worker expectations today within the workplace? They're changing. They've been shifting as well, because now as you look at the workforce being not only the youngest generation is here, but also the oldest of generations and the two largest segments of our working population are the baby boomers, right? Those that are between the ages of 55 and up to about the age of 66, but also the millennials, as I mentioned. So those being the two largest groups, but one is exiting, the other one is entering. So the worker expectations are actually somewhat colliding, they're intersecting, and then yet some of them are combining. So some of those worker expectations around flexible work arrangements, right? They want to be able to have a seat at the table. They want to have a voice at the table, particularly the younger generation where they grew up, where they did have a voice in the conversation. Look, I don't know about you, but I grew up old school, right? I'm a Gen Xer with parents that were traditionalists. They're 77 and 78. And (laughs) I didn't grow up where I had a voice in the matter or I had a voice at the table or even in decisions. And so That's a little bit different now with that younger generation who grew up being a part of the the family discussions and decisions and all of that. So we see that coming into the workplace now, that dynamic. And it also is pushing the needle around how we get work done. How do we collaborate? Communicating, right, is a big shift now in the way that we now, you know, you don't necessarily call in sick anymore. You text in, right? And you don't always walk down the hallway to have a conversation with your boss or your supervisor. You text them. And so we have to think about all of the ways that we now communicate. Technology allows us to connect, to collaborate and communicate all over the world. And so, yes, it is important even to have some kind of a social presence online, right? LinkedIn, you got to have a profile if you're looking for a job. So all of these expectations come into, I think, a real impact for leaders because leaders have to work more as an emotionally intelligent leader, as an inclusive leader. You have to create a culture where all talent can thrive and that talent, you may not be talent you used to working with. So it's a lot of ways that we as leaders have to upskill and reskill. We got to unlearn some things. We got to relearn some things and know how to talk the language of different generations and different cultures and people coming from different parts of the world. So how can leaders become more inclusive kind of on an everyday basis? It's certainly a journey, right? It's first of all about awareness and admitting and understanding that you need to learn and to grow and that you don't have a full understanding of everything there is to know about differences. So I encourage leaders to, first of all, learn more about other people who are not like you. Expand your own network, right? If you are a leader and you don't have people around you who look like the talent that you're leading, who look like the customers that you serve and the clients that you work with and work for, enlarge your network, right? Join groups and join organizations that have a larger minority population that allows you to learn more and be able to leverage the different perspectives and different ideas and the diversity of thought. But it's also about making sure you listen, make sure you observe, make sure you ask questions, be inquisitive. We call that being culturally humble, but also cultural intelligence. Cultural humility is, I don't know what I don't know, and I know that there's a lot of difference. And cultural intelligence is, I know that I need to ask questions and be willing to learn and listen and understand that there are different perspectives and there is not just one way that we lead. There's not just one way that we think. And we have to be, you know, like situational leaders, right? We know there's a lot of work around that situational leadership and that's applicable here. 
And it's one thing to include everybody, but how do you engage people to keep everybody interested and on the same path? You know, I had a really, really good boss or supervisor. He didn't like me calling him boss. But one of the things I saw him do really well as an inclusive leader who engaged me was he allowed my talents and my gifts to truly drive the way that he developed and the way he supported me. He asked me questions, right? I didn't know at the time that they were called stay interviews, right? But he would, every now and then he just kind of, let's not talk about, you know, the project. Let's not talk about the big initiative. Tell me how you're doing. How are you feeling? What are you observing? How else can I support you? How can I be a better leader for you? Wow. That really does a lot to engage me, right? And that's important just because right now what the Gallup organization is telling us is that we still have a long way to go as it relates to employee engagement. And leaders have a lot to learn around how do you engage workers? Well, part of that is, is that you practice the platinum rule, which is you don't just treat everybody the way you want to be treated. You treat people the way they want to be treated. And that's an important way of engaging workers, recognizing that everybody is unique. Everybody is different. Everyone wants a sense of belonging and a sense of connection. And I love what Daniel Pink says is that there's three ways to do that. And he says that that is all about how do we ensure that people have a sense of meaning and purpose that's tied to what they do every day? How do we ensure that they master some things, that they become better at the skills and the competencies that they display, and that they have a sense of purpose and meaning? And all of those are very important. And collaboration is more important than ever, not just coming up with solutions, but coming up with better solutions. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important, especially with all these different points of view? Yeah, and you hit on it, right? Collaboration is about bringing the best thinking to the table. It's about sharing the best ideas. It's about cross-collaborating around the learnings, right? Around what are some of the, the things that we had not thought about? How do we innovate? When we collaborate and share across divisions, across departments, across even companies, right? I'm big on competitive intelligence. I'm big on benchmarking. So collaboration can happen internally, up, down, and across the organization, but it can certainly happen externally. I collaborate with people online. I collaborate with people through text messaging. I'm part of groups that I'm collaborating with. I'm constantly sharing best practices and resources, but it's all about how can we also be more efficient and yes, be more innovative. And as you said, how can we come up with better outcomes and better solutions to our challenges? So many of us are working remotely now. If you're on a team, chances are in a credit union, at least one or two of the people are going to be working remotely. How does that change all of this? Everything from inclusion to worker expectations. What is the remote environment or the post-COVID world? How does that change things? It's changed things dramatically. Again, not that we haven't already been thinking and recognizing that technology is changing the way that we work anyway, but now that the global pandemic has hit, it really forced and pushed a lot more organizations and leaders to embrace this new reality called working in a hybrid workplace, working remotely and working virtually. And I think the way that it's changed is a lot of ways, right? How do we communicate? And here's the thing, you're now invited into my home, right? We're in my home studio. In a place where in the past, I haven't necessarily invited people into my house like this. People all over the world get to see what you're doing and how your home is decorated and who you live with and, you know, what kind of fur babies you have. And 
it's changed that, right? It may bring out different biases, but it also brings out different perspectives. It allows you to connect with people in a very personal way, in an intimate way. So we have to suspend a little bit of our judgment. We have to be even more accommodating and understanding of technology, right? Some of the glitches that we see, you know, <laughs> I think the three most powerful words in 2020 was you are muted, right? People are having a lot more fun with it, being flexible with it, being more understanding that you got kids and you got additional pressures and you got additional stresses and anxieties because you're having to now work from home and then try to work here and work at the office, stay safe, stay distance because we're still in that pandemic, right? I think we're going to be here for the rest of 2021 in some capacity. It has changed the way that we work a lot. And I think leaders have had to learn how to trust more. I think they've learned how to manage to the objectives and manage to the results. And a lot, a lot of my clients, including some of my credit union clients too, have had to even try to figure out how do we shift policies and how do we now upgrade and on our technology and how do we ensure we stay connected with our workers and how do we still service our clients? And they've even had to be really creative and setting specific appointments of when can you come into the office, right? How do we engage with our clients and each other as, as our staff and leaders? All of it has changed. And I like working remotely, but we can't walk down the hall and just stick our head into somebody's office or we can't acknowledge them with a, a blink of our eye. Is there any way we can kind of bridge that gap? I do think that that's an important piece. And there's studies now that have shown psychologists are sharing it. Social psychology counselors are also sharing the same thing is that we have to be sensitive. The reality is, is that it has increased stress levels. People are feeling a sense of isolation. And I think as leaders and workers, we have to be more sensitive to that, that people may be isolated more because, you, like you said, you don't have that, that opportunity to walk down the hall and talk to someone. So I encourage leaders to check in more with your staff. Plan to do some of those more virtual ways that you could connect. I have loved seeing some of my clients do what they call after hours cocktails or tip and sips and just have a sip of coffee or have a sip of whatever you want to. And let's connect with each other on a, on a more personal basis. And they've been having virtual happy hours. I think those are important. And to the extent that we can have at least once a month or once a quarter where we can come together socially distanced, even if it's at a, a big ballroom or somewhere. I, I had one client do it in a gymnasium and it was perfect because everyone could come. They had the bullhorn, the big microphone, and everyone was able to at least see each other and at least be glad to see faces. Sometimes let's not even go virtual. How about we just pick up the phone and let's just have a conversation sometimes with people. And I have absolutely loved, loved, loved. One of my clients is Sherm and the CEO actually had lunch delivered to all the staff. It just showed up at their doorstep, right? I love, love, love things like that. But then they've also had drive-bys at the office. So you could come by and your supervisor, your team, they would all be out there and everyone kind of comes by and does the drive-by engagement and collaboration that way. I've seen some of them show up at a drive-in movie and have a team meeting and it was broadcasted through the radio station. Those are really creative, innovative ways yeah. to stay connected. Yeah. And people do value them. They really do. We've come to learn that throughout the past year. And just kind of to wrap things up, you talk about three realities for employees. Can you kind of unpack those for me? Yeah, I mean, obviously the reality is, is that things may not go back to the way that they used to be. We keep saying, when will things go back to normal? What I think we have to do is become the masters of our reinvention and recognize that 
we may have to reintegrate into a new reality. And I think as leaders, we have to help people be able to understand that change has happened and we have to help them work through their change. That's their reality is that it's a new reality, right? So that's the other part of it. I think the other reality is, is that the way we work and how we get work done is going to continue to shift. And we've got to remain nimble and agile and flexible and and resilient, right? So all of those are words that we've been throwing around, but it is our responsibility as leaders and as individuals, we've got to figure out how do we come out of this change and this shift and this unprecedented disruptive time? How do we come out stronger and better? And how do we make sure that we can still get things done more effectively? So I think that's important. And then I think the third piece of this is, is that we have to learn to embrace the new. Yes, it's a new reality, but our mindset has to change because, as I said, the world is changing. The demographics have changed. Technology is going to continue to change and shift, right? So we have to now look at the world in a a very different way with a different mindset, with a new attitude that, hey, you know what? Change doesn't just happen to me. I think there's three kinds of people, and it is those that make things happen, those that watch things happen, and those that wonder what happened. We have to be the ones that help make change happen, but also help bring those along who may be grappling with and and resistant to that change. Help them to see what's in it for them. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 